This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I talked to Shinobi. Shinobi is a well-known personality in the Bitcoin space on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Brian Trolls. I wanted to talk to him about privacy, some of the technical aspects of Bitcoin. Um, and then we also talk about Taproot with Taproot getting activated this past week. I wanted to talk to him about that and what Taproot does, what it is, and uh, what it means and why it's important. Um, we also talked about uh, his background and how he was uh, just working in a warehouse, chucking boxes around and uh, discovered Bitcoin and uh, now is, you know, full-time into Bitcoin. And we talk about, you know, getting the importance of getting self-sovereign in this uh, current um, political climate. So talked about all that. I really appreciated him coming on. I hope you guys enjoy it. The sponsor for the show is CoinBeast Connect. Do you have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on CoinBeast Connect. Learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, DeFi, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro, select a date when you're available, and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the Connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. It's also brought to you by Movies Plus. Uh, It's my streaming platform. Just go ahead and check it out. Download it in the app stores. Any app store, just search Movies Plus. Um, And then if you want to look at it on the web, it's mymoviesplus.com. But yeah, find it in the app store. You can... uh, sign up for a free trial um we've got bitcoin content up there going up there and then we also have christmas content and everything so hope you guys uh you know check it out and uh, we're adding thousands of titles so uh lots of stuff going on there and uh check it out so if you want to follow me uh my twitter handle is at cory underscore tusik and the show email is bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com thanks so, so you're taking a morning constitutional? Uh, yep, you know, part of the, the morning habit, you know, get the coffee, uh, <clears throat> you know, sit down for a constitutional. And yeah. got to stay regular. <laughs> well, it's funny because I didn't know if you meant that or if you meant, uh, if you meant like going for a walk. Because isn't that one of the terms for constitutional? <laughs> um, actually, if I you're okay know. with me uh, talking about this on the podcast. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated the uh, the openness though. Um, <laughs> and uh but yeah, so um thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh and uh your NIM Shinobi. Um I wanna get into that a little bit, but uh are, do you stay NIM purely for security? Because I just had Gigi on and he was talking about how he does it, you know, for security, but also um it's fun for him because then he goes to like conferences and like he was talking to guy swan for like 30 minutes and then he was like oh by the way i'm i'm uh, i'm i'm gg and he was like what um so do you do it (laughs) strictly for security or is it also for humoring yourself and and all that no pretty much just security i just don't want my uh, name and face tied to everything and um every time i've tried to pull that at a conference or something i get recognized by my voice in like five seconds it's obnoxious like i i, I need to really like find a realistic like fake tone of voice to use because um yeah everybody just calls it in like a couple seconds <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say your your voice is um not that ggs isn't distinct and, and others laser hodls i feel like if i talked to him in real in real life i'd be like oh yeah I, this is you um 
but yours, yeah, your your voice is pretty uh, recognizable. So you you're not uh, like against people finding out who you are when you're at a at a conference or anything like that. Nah, I mean, as long as you know my face isn't being put up on the internet and shit. Um, are you on the internet? In well, I guess, have you ever been on the internet? Or have you scrubbed yourself completely? Um, nope, never did any of the normie things um, that everyone else does. No Facebook, yeah. no, no nothing. That's you're lucky. I had to. My listeners know, but I had to like. Um, uh, whenever I was distributing, God forbid, distributing a movie about Donald Trump, not supporting him, just fulfilling a service for a client. Um, yeah, I was like getting Facebook was saying I was trying to inter, in, uh, influence the election and stuff like that. So I had to, like <laughs> I had to uh, I just deleted Facebook completely at that point. Um, I didn't even use it. Wait a minute. Wait, you you as an American citizen are exercising your First Amendment right to influence an election? Oh my God, how shocking! I mean, I, I, I guess the entire media establishment should be shut down, right? Yeah, I mean, no, 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 can't do that. They can't. It seems like they're always, you know, I've seen these ads before that said, you know, paid for by the you know Biden administration, paid for by the Trump administration, and I'm like. Huh, I thought they were influencing it. Meanwhile, here I was just, I had a client come to me from movie and I was like, well, you know what? This would make, like, if I advertise this on Facebook, it would do really well amongst, you know, Trump supporters. Um, and they were like, you're, we need, they needed like documentation. Uh, they need, they wanted my IDs and everything. And I was like, no, oh, I was like, no, I'm not for, uh, for posting a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm not giving you any information. And, um, and that, that really spooked me, um, into like, uh, that's what probably started me down the, like the Citadel thinking I was already into Bitcoin at that point, but then uh, it kind of opened my eyes to like, Oh my God, this is a much bigger problem than just, you know, monetary expansion, um, you know, and, and debasing your currency. This is a, this is a this is a privacy thing um, that I need to take seriously. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, at that point, my face had already been out there. You know, there was articles with my name in it. Hence, why when I started the podcast, I was like, "Well, I can't really do a nim at this point." Um, and uh, and yeah. such is life. So here I am, just telling everybody who I am and and uh, making myself public. Uh, I wish I could do Shinobi. On the other hand, so Shinobi is monk. Um, is your is your what you chose to nim yourself after um <laughs> yeah. honestly um that that was kind of a joke that came later um i just have a habit of taking monkey and adding things to it um for pseudonyms it was originally actually ninja monkey and then i changed it to shinobi um just i don't even remember why and then shinobius monk um was just kind of like riffing that to another degree like Thelonious Monk um, mm-hmm. the, the jazz artist <laughs> <laughs> so it just keeps getting more and I mean you're like basically three degrees removed from anybody knowing who you are because you've taken your nim and shredded it and keep going further away from reality um, mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, like, while I had the Norm um, avatar, you know, I was, like, changing my name every day. <laughs> I was <kind> of just <laughs> fucking people. <laughs> Did you ever get to watch that Norm clip? That, I don't know if I sent it to you or not. I'll have to send it. Dude, it's so good. Where he's the, the professor of... Um... Actually, no, I didn't. And I'm going to do that the instant that I get off uh, this call. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good it's so good um but so yeah let's get on norm for a second um because your your profile was norm up until probably like a week ago um ever since he died uh so you're a big norm fan norm mcdonald for those that don't know what we're talking about oh yeah dude he he is like one of the few celebrities in this day and age who is an or was an actual genuine person like he, he did not just get up on stage or in front of a camera and like put on this fake persona or like tailor his behavior, what he said just to be like popular or cater to what viewers wanted. No, he just got in front of the camera and you got raw Norm McDonald. And like, that is just such a rare thing in this day and age, in this culture. Like th- that is something that should be acknowledged and respected like to actually get to that point yeah it's like to to get to that level of fame and celebrity and still just genuinely be yourself like that should be applauded yeah yeah he was he's one of the greats in his stories i mean when he goes on a rant um and uh what was the you guessed it uh what was the joke he always did on snl when he was doing the weekend update and it was uh who was he making fun of um, oh vince foster um yeah dude like all of those riffs were like the most amazing <laughs> thing ever like that and like the constant um calling oj simpson a murderer that eventually <laughs> got him fired <laughs> <laughs> they say like uh, in other news murder in california is now legal <laughs> <laughs> And he was specifically told ahead of time that if he brought up anything about it, um, that he was going to get uh, fired. And and uh, he was like, ah, whatever, you know, fire me. Yep. Go on to my go on with my <laughs> life. <laughs> um, so uh, so I want to get a little bit about uh, your background and, uh, you know, get into your Bitcoin origin story. But like, what do you do? You know, what's your what's your trade and, and all that kind of stuff? Um, you know, so for listeners that don't know. I think I have an idea, but um, yeah, get into well, it. Well, honestly, just obsess over Bitcoin. Um, when I was employed, um, believe it or not, I worked in warehouses and shit. <laughs> like I have nice. no formal technical education. I have never worked in any kind of like software engineering, like job or capacity ever. Like everything I know about those types of topics, I have just taught myself. <laughs> Wow. Like I was a guy in a warehouse uh, chucking boxes. And so you taught yourself everything. And, and now you're, I mean, you're a software engineer. And do you do everything with Bitcoin? No, or are you I a mean, core dev? Or? I, I would not call myself a developer or engineer at all. Like I, I would say that I have a very decent layman's or like slightly deeper understanding of, of things or aspects of how like software works, how just the, the general engineering works. I, I'm not actually a programmer. Like I, I would probably struggle to write a basic Bitcoin wallet in Python. <laughs> mm. 
Oh, you know what those things even mean. So you're ahead of like 99% of the people out there. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy world. But so that, that ask that perspective then allows you to understand things like, you know, when people talk about like the privacy and everything like that, um, I've heard you kind of a, not attack it, but like, you know, people will think that like Bitcoin is like super secure and private and we don't have to worry about anything right now. Um, but I've heard you kind of, you know, make sure everybody is like standing at the gates ready to protect it. So what, what do you see as weaknesses? Well, I mean, in this day and age, nobody for the most part is getting their hands on Bitcoin without having their name tagged to it. And in order to really disconnect things on chain, like it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of understanding. Like, you know, Bitcoin by default is pseudonymous. It is not anonymous. Like it's not private. You actually have to put work in, in order to use it privately. And I feel like most people are just not doing that. And, yeah. you know, kind of just a little tangent that really bugs the shit out of me. Go for it. Is the tool to actually like do that to actually interact with Bitcoin privately. So many people get scared away from using them just because of tribal like bitch fits between the different teams developing those tools, just flinging mud at each other, trying to capture all of the user base. Mm. And it's really just disappointing to me because that is one of the most important things about this system. Like people need to understand, first of all, how to use it privately and they need to be able to trust the tools to do that when the time comes that they they actually have to do that for whatever personal or situational reason they would need to Mm -hmm. and you know i think it like there is a piss poor job of that being done because rather than just explaining abstractly how to do it and showing people all of the tools available it's just this tribal game of my tool is the best and everybody's just trying to run up at people and shove that tool in their face and then start screaming about why all the other tools are broken and useless instead of like actually explaining the trade-offs between them. I see. So instead of everybody working together, we're kind of getting pushed into people being pushed into camps based mm-hmm. on different protocols instead of doing what's for the best, which is really just uh, teaching people, walking them through how to actually do this privately. It's funny because, you know, people talk about, you know, like the privacy of Bitcoin. And then, you know, you point out, you like, it is by nature, student, student, like there is a pseudonym that goes with your address. Um, and it's, you know, stamped on the blockchain forever. So how do you get around that? like obscuring the connections like everybody can see like when a transaction hits chain what is being spent where it's going so you have to introduce ambiguity to that you know like if you see a transaction that spends one coin and it sends a little bit you know to this address and then all the rest goes back to another one somebody just made a payment like that's very obvious you have to obscure where that is going, like create ambiguity. Like if let's say there's five different outputs 
of, you know, balanced amounts um, all broken up. Now that's a little bit ambiguous. Like which of those is a payment? Which of those is the, the change coming back to the person making those payments? Like who did all of those payments go to? Like you, you have to create that ambiguity so, so that, that it's don't. not so obvious to the observer. So in other words, to the on-chain analysts or anybody that would want to be tracking that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you're not a fan of the on-chain analytics then? I mean, definitely not, but, <clears throat> you know, that was always going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So then, I mean, do you use something like, I mean, obviously you lost all your Bitcoin in a boating accident and so did I, but <laughs> would you recommend to somebody in whatever you have left cash wise, you've just uh, put into blimps. Um, that's a under, that's a, that's an inside joke for those that don't know. Um, but um, uh do you like would you recommend like coin join and um or you know what it what is the safest way to keep yourself anonymous and, and keep it private well i mean coin join is really um the only widely used tool available right now um but there is a uh, wallet mercury wallet that just got released by a company called commerce block and this actually implements something called a, a state chain, which is kind of like, um, think of it like a lightning channel, except instead of being between two like defined people and that's it, you can kind of pass the ownership of that channel around completely off chain. And mm-hmm. they've actually implemented um, coin swap on top of that, that state chain. So like instead of coin joining where everything is obviously a single transaction, like being all jumbled together to confuse people, you are swapping coins um, without directly like tying those together in a single transaction. And so like that is a, a very new tool that can also be used to kind of like open a state chain and then swap that state chain around with you know everybody's different state chains and then eventually close it out and kind of achieve like a similar level of obfuscation to a coin join. But um, that um, I think the, the biggest things to mention there are the nature of a state chain is um, one of the key holders is the operator of like that, that state chain backend. So you do kind of have to trust whoever's doing that not to collude with like a a past owner to defraud the Mm. current one. So that is something to consider. But the, the other thing kind of a positive in a high fee environment, all of this is happening off chain. So you can kind of just pay a fee once to open that and you can swap around to your heart's content until you want to close it out without paying those on chain fees. So Mm. that, down the line is a a potential way to offer, you know, these privacy tools to people who might not necessarily have the money to constantly be paying fees on chain. Yeah. Yeah. I see that as a, another solution. And I mean, so this is separate from the lightning network then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Like one day it could potentially be plugged into and interoperate with the lightning network, but that is a a long ways off. Okay. Okay. 
Um, interesting. Well, uh, so I want to circle back to before because there's more privacy and like a lot of new things like Taproot and all that. But um, so how did you first hear about Bitcoin? And, you know, like what was your first touch point with it? And how did you get into it? Um, this is a good or bad. So question. I read <laughs> I read the first um, slash dot article in 2011, um, read the abstract of the white paper, and then went, this is the stupidest internet scam I've ever heard of and didn't pay attention to it until like 2013. <laughs> As you know, Bitcoiners by nature, I think are going to be the earlier the adopter you are, the more skeptical you're going to be of things like that. So you're just like, this is stupid. And like read through, but you actually read through it. You didn't just look at a headline and say, well, obviously that's a, you know, that's a scam. Yeah. I mean, like my first thought was literally just like, okay, I'm cool, but the government makes money. Um, nice internet scam. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> the government's the only place that can make money. Nobody else can make it. <laughs> where are we going? Where are we going to get those uh, yeah. nice, clean, crisp dollar bills? You know, you can't. So, so that was your initial touch point. You were like, and then what made you circle back in 2013? Just the fact that it like 10 X in price. And then I was like, okay, um, something has to be happening here because if this was just a, a internet scam, like the Nigerian Prince crap, um, this would not be happening like this. Um, so I like yeah. went back and kind of dove a little deeper and was like, okay, maybe there is something here. Um, let's get my hands on a little bit and see how this goes. And then, so you made the, that initial maiden voyage into purchasing Bitcoin. And then here you are spending all your time. I assume this is what you do full time, right? It's nothing but Bitcoin. Pretty much. And other than, you know, maintaining that boat that you wrecked. Um, and trying to get back up <laughs> so I, well, I how ask, else am I going to get back out on the lake so that I can dive down and try and find my keys? Yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> down there somewhere, right? Now, it, if I try and guess where you're from, is that doxing you too much? No, I've been pretty open about it. Are you from Chicago? Yep. First guess. Okay. With uh, I I I one time heard you talk about uh, May, the lovely mayor of Chicago, and I was like, that sounds like somebody that lives there. <laughs> Who Beetlejuice? <laughs> <laughs> She's a little crazy. Um, uh, so does that mean you're a Cubs or White Sox fan? Ah. Uh... Honestly, not really a sports fan, but there was a um, an existential war in my childhood where my dad would constantly take me to Sox games because he's hmm. a Sox fan. And his best buddy would constantly take me to Cubs games because he was a Cubs fan. Um, and they constantly warred over um, which team I should be a fan of. <laughs> <laughs> and then you ended up being not a sports fan. Yep. I'm having a hard time in the in the Bitcoin world finding people fans that are fans of the sports ball still. Um 
because a lot of people they're like oh yeah i used to be but you know bitcoin kind of took over and you know uh all of a sudden everything else lost its flavor i don't know i guess um is that what kind of happened to you like did, were you a fan at one point or like bigger fan it's at one point then bitcoin kind of just took I over mean, i always liked playing sports but like watching them it was just always boring as hell um like I had like half the times uh, I went to baseball games when I was a kid, I would just go wander around the stadiums and like try to sneak into areas that uh, I wasn't supposed to be in just because watching the game was just boring. <laughs> well, baseball, as much as I do love baseball, you're excused there because if uh, if you're not there for the relaxed environment and just casually watching the game, yeah, it, it's pretty boring. Um, so, uh, okay, so I got to ask you about Taproot. Um, because, uh, I mean, we'd been trying to do this for a while, but with Taproot activating, I was like, I got to talk to you about it. Um, what are your, how could you, can you easily explain it to people that would be stupid like myself and not understand it? Even though I had Guy Swan on in like May to explain it to me and I still like have to go back and refer to notes to understand it. Um, so what is Taproot? So when you make a bitcoin transaction there is the bitcoin script so like the input to a transaction it says you have to give me a signature that matches this public key and when you you make that transaction you have the output that has like the new script with the new public key and after that gets confirmed um you know now to spend that you'll need a signature for that public key well, that script can do other things. Like it can require like the pre-image to a hash, you know, like an HTLC with Lightning, or it can say, um, you know, you can't spend this coin until block eight hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, what it can also do is it can do like an if-else um, statement, like a normal computer program. Like you can make a script that says, "Give me the." Um, signature for this public key or after like five days give me a signature for this different public key and either of those ways to spend it is a valid way but the problem is if you try to make a bunch of like or branches or like other ways to spend that coin that's going to be a very big output and it's going to be very expensive to send money to it and it's gonna be very expensive to spend it later. So what Taproot does is all the different ways you can spend the coin, it just makes a Merkle tree out of it and it commits to that Merkle tree in the output. So that way, if you want to go use those other ways to spend the coin, you just take that one way and the Merkle branch that goes all the way to the root and then you fulfill the the condition. So like if it's a time lock and then a signature, you wait till the time lock expires, you give it that signature. And that way um, you can have a lot more varied ways to spend a coin without running into that problem of like this transaction and that output is gonna be incredibly massive and expensive because you just use that Merkle branch for the one way that you're spending it and that's all that ever has to be put in the blockchain 
instead of like the entire script with like all the different ways that it could be spun. Okay, so like, so basically to get it off chain, it's just one script, and then in that script contains what everything else it can branch off and do. Yeah, the, and then I, instead of having to put the whole thing on chain, you just use the the Merkle tree, and like that branch to whatever like spending condition you're using, that's the proof that it's valid because you know it's it's a Merkle tree just like a Bitcoin block. Okay, and now explain. I think I know, but maybe not because uh, I'd never try to assume that I know things. Uh, explain the Merkle tree to the audience who's probably wondering what in the hell is a Merkle tree. I mean, just imagine you have like eight pieces of data. You hash all eight pieces of data and then you break it into pairs. And then you take, you know, a pair of things and you hash those together and you keep doing that until you have one hash at the top of it, the, the root of the Merkle tree. And that way you can kind of pick any one of those pieces of data and then you follow it up to the root and all you need in order to prove it's part of that tree is like the hashes that make up the path from that piece of data all the way to the root. Like you don't actually have to show the entire Merkle tree of everything just the else. part of it from, from that piece all the way to the top. So almost like if you were looking at like a family tree and like, you know, say mm -hmm. I'm looking at like my great grandparents up here and then there's all these other things that have broken off from it down um, to prove that I am a descendant of my, you know, one great grandparent instead of having to explain all the other, you know, second, third cousins, aunts, uncles, everything else. Um, it just shows like, okay, from me to my dad, my dad to his mom, his mom, to my great grandpa like and that's all the information yeah, exactly. you need okay um so then how does this help i mean this does this reduce the size then of data that needs to be yeah. held by the nodes or it, it reduces the amount of data that has to go into the blockchain um so like, this is a kind of an important detail about Taproot. Um, when you make this Merkle tree of all the different ways you can spend it, um, you kind of have to keep a copy of that the mm -hmm. same way that you have to keep a copy of like all your data on the, the lightning channel. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. like the, all of those um, spending conditions, the whole tree is not in the output that that um is using it like just the the commitment at the the very top of the tree is so if you lose that data you're not going to be able to use any of those ways to spend it like you, you you have to keep it so that when you go to spend it using one of those merkle paths um you actually have it to submit to the blockchain mm. and so that allows a lot of space savings for complicated contracts on chain um, but you, you have that trade off of like, now you have to keep this data safe and, and not lose it. Like you, you, you can't just regenerate that, um, from your word seed, like you would with your, uh, your private keys. 
I see. So yeah, so you have to, so you're not storing that data on chain anymore, but you're moving it to your node basically. I mean, I, I wouldn't say your node, I'd say your wallet, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you're kind of pulling it off chain and you have to store it yourself until you actually like go to use it and spend those coins. Okay. Now, in your view, what is the main benefit to this? I mean, I'm sure there's multiple things we can get into, um, you know, and at, the, at its simplest form, you know, slowing down or uh, taking data off chain but uh what's the main benefit you see well first is privacy um like if you have a coin locked up to a complicated contract between a bunch of people with all these different ways that it can be spent um nobody knows that until it gets spent one of those ways so that's a huge improvement in terms of not showing people what you're doing on chain um, and the other one is just like smart contracts can be way bigger. Like there, there are actually like size limits, um, for a script or for a transaction that limit like how many different ways of spending a coin you, you can lock a UTXO up to. And so now with uh, taproot and using this Merkle tree trick, you can have a coin that has way more different ways to spend it than you could before. So you can make things a lot more expressive. Like instead of being limited to like, you know, th these are not going to be accurate numbers, but like, let's say instead of a hard limit of like five different ways that you could um, spend a coin, like now you can have 50 because mm -hmm. you're just being way more efficient with that, that use of space uh, on chain. Okay. Um, so the, okay. So sorry if I'm, I'm working through this as Neanderthal as I can, because I'm trying myself to understand it. Um, uh, okay. So the UTXOs, that's the, the point at which the the source of the data i mean i'm sound like an idiot so anybody that's a technical person seeing here probably laughing but um uh i should make this show called bitcoin made idiot um <laughs> <laughs> that would be more accurate um uh so the utxos explain what that is because that gets thrown around a lot and um, I think I have like the vaguest idea, but I've just haven't done the research into it. Um, but a lot of people probably get lost by something like that. Well, it's, it's just uh, a coin that hasn't been spent yet. So like a, a transaction has like inputs um, and then the outputs. So like the coins that are being spent and the new ones that are being created when that transaction is confirmed. Uh, a UTXO is just an unspent output. So it's, it's that coin mm. sitting around that, that is valid to spend, but hasn't been spent yet. Okay. So now with Taproot, you, you can have that coin sitting there with instructions on how it can be spent, um, but all that data isn't living on chain, is what exactly. you're saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, the funny thing is I'll have to like re-listen to this, like – because I, I saw somebody put the Andy Dwyer meme um, 
of uh from uh parks and rec when he was like i don't know what a taproot is and at this point i'm too embarrassed to ask um i don't know if you ever saw that episode where he was like Mm -hmm. uh, he was like listing a bunch of things for ron swanson that he's like never told anyone he was like i don't know who al gore is and at this point i'm too embarrassed to ask (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's how i think a lot of people feel about taproot where it's like what like i know this is important i know this helps us um and uh and amazingly it was still difficult to get it processed right like it was still it took a lot of effort to get it enabled. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long has this been in the, how long has Taproot been in the works? Well, I mean, the specific implementation, um, like 2018, 2019, around there, um, like the individual pieces that actually came together to become Taproot, uh, back like 2011 2012 2013 wow wow so in and, and this is what how much work it takes i was explaining to my business partners um a little bit before this uh, earlier today we were talking about um you know they were asking me some questions about bitcoin because obviously i convinced them to invest in bitcoin <laughs> so they you know come to me for the questions and i'm like i i mean i'll give you like the dumbest answer possible but i'll i'll point you in the right direction um but i was like for anything to change it takes a very long time for anything to change in bitcoin and from what i understand everybody was in favor of this but it was like there was arguments over how to activate it right mm-hmm. um yeah that was so, um I, I would say, in my opinion, that was mostly just PTSD from the 2017 activation of SegWit. Um, and everybody on all sides of that argument, um, yeah, they, they just had a little shell shock from that. And um, <laughs> kind yeah. of that led to nobody talking about how to activate the next thing since 2017 outside little like groups and and clusters and when everybody kind of sat down when taproot was finished like how do we turn it on everybody realized like nobody agrees because everybody (laughs) was just like traumatized and not talking about it the whole time it was one of those things that you just like ignore and ignore and ignore until it becomes you know it's like a family type thing you know where like families that don't communicate well it's like, let's just go merrily along and not talk about the fact that this incredibly painful thing is going to come up and we have to confront it eventually. Um, so with the SegWit, I mean, that's what caused the block size war, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say caused it, but it was kind of the uh, everything coming to a head. Because what did SegWit do as far as an upgrade? Pretty much what it did is it kind of tricked old nodes into accepting transactions without a signature. And then it moved that signature kind of outside of the block from the point of view of old nodes um, to kind of, one, um, solve something called the transaction malleability problem because... um, 
when you have a Bitcoin transaction, um, the signature isn't really going like you're not signing the transaction itself. You're signing the hash of it. Mm. And so there, there was kind of this weird thing where like the hash would go over part of the signature and mm. There are like weird cryptographic games you could play where you would change the signature or like part of it. And that would change the hash um, that, that it's signing, but it would still be a valid signature. And so that could be used to break like any chain of transactions. Like let's say you, you have things like lightning or like a, a long chain of transactions, like one after the other. Mm -hmm. if somebody malleated a transaction in that chain, then it would invalidate all of the transactions ahead of it mm. and make them invalid because the hash that they're referencing for the coins they're spending changed. So the hash that they're referencing for the past transaction wouldn't be valid anymore. Mm. And so by moving the signature completely outside of the block from the old nodes point of view, like it stopped hashing like that part of the, the transaction that allows you to do that. And it only hashed everything else. So that once you, you have a signature, you, you can't kind of change it and have it still be valid and play those kinds of games anymore. And mm -hmm. so the, the whole reason for that was kind of so that we could have these second layer protocols where you're kind of chaining transactions together off chain and remove that way that they could be attacked or disrupted. You know, like okay. imagine if you opened a lightning channel um, and then you have this pre-signed transaction to guarantee you can get your money back, but then somebody plays this game and they tweak the signature that's funding the lightning channel so that the hash of that transaction is different. And then that transaction confirms now your pre-signed transaction to get your money back isn't valid anymore mm. because the, the past transaction that it's referencing was changed and it's not valid. And so like without SegWit, you couldn't really build all these off-chain things because all it would take is one guy like grabbing a transaction out of the mempool and playing this game with it. And it would break like the, um, the other transactions that would make that second layer protocol work. Okay. So the, so then I guess the people that were against SegWit were just saying, were they the ones who the proponents for block increasing the block size? Mm -hmm. And they were just saying like, well, why would we, cause they're, I'm guessing looking at it, like you don't need to do this second layer, you know, just increase the block size and then you can do everything that you want to do on the, on the base chain. That was pretty much their argument. That's crazy, too, that, like, I mean, hats off to, like, people like you, Guy Swan, like, all the other people that are OGs that have been in it for a long time and went through that. Um, I mean, I'm sure there will be battles in the future, but, like, I, like, I kind of fear what side I would have been on if I had been in Bitcoin at that point. Like, if I didn't, if I would have been able to fully grasp really the ne the necessity of making the blockchain pure and simple and you know and not 
I mean, increasing the block size to how much does it take? Like nine terabytes for a Ethereum node right now. Um, you know, yeah, I just. I actually supported big blocks back in 2013. Like the first oh, really? attempt to do that, I was a supporter of it until I kind of started learning more and realized how idiotic that was. And what, what, so your, your reason, I mean, what's your reason for what, what changed you just uh, keeping it simple on the blockchain and not allowing people to run nodes in, you know, perpetuity without increasing the data requirements? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much just that realization that if like everybody has to go trust the big data center to know what all the balances are, then how is that any different from PayPal? Yeah, yeah, that's no different from the system that we currently live in. Um, so yeah, so the um, to get into that a little bit, um, you know, we have out of control inflation. We have that you know is being underreported. Um, manipulation of the money um, so obviously centralization doesn't work um, how do you think this unwinds I think it is going to be a giant shit show and all of the big fiat currencies the, the dollar you know the, the yuan the yen the pound like they're all going to just try to export their inflation. Like I, I think as the bigger Bitcoin grows and like less stable, smaller currencies start imploding on themselves, all of those big fiat currencies are going to try to swoop in and push their fiat currency in these places where local currencies are imploding. And it's going to just be a race to like try to dollarize or like poundize or, or whatever like all of these different regions as Bitcoin keeps growing and like exacerbating problems with these more inflationary, smaller currencies. So you think um, to keep pushing their inflation out, um, kind of like the, well, people attack me for this, kind of like the yoga pants, like you got to push it somewhere, you know, it's got like, <laughs> it's going to go, it's going <laughs> to blob around somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yep. but uh you know <laughs> you would keep it out of view of the united states and you know push it down to the ankle somewhere um and uh and have that you know bulge out <laughs> i can't believe i'm making this example <laughs> um but uh you know um <laughs> i don't know where that came from um <laughs> So let's say somebody like Zimbabwe, that is the ankle where, where we have now a cankle of inflation. <laughs> We're going to get canceled. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I'm getting canceled big time for that one. Oh my god. <laughs> Zimbabwe is this cankle of inflation. And um, I'm trying to get it back on track here. And um <laughs> and so they're gonna push this inflation elsewhere and so you have places like Zimbabwe that they gotta pull it together and be like, All right, we're gonna be I'm sorry I can't something about the cankle. 
cool with inflation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the uh, so it's a race for them. It's a race for the dollar and other currencies to get there and dollarize them before Bitcoin takes over, like it did in El Salvador. Well, honestly, I would say that Bitcoin taking over in places like that would actually help um, dollarize them. True. Because you know, Bitcoin taking over as a store of value, as a place to park your wealth, it's it's still not stable enough to price things. Like it's still not stable enough to be a day-to-day unit of account. And so if you have Bitcoin kind of swoop in and dominate, you know, your economy as a store of value, as as where people want to park their wealth, like you still need that unit of account, like that that stable medium of exchange. And so if the process of Bitcoin coming in implodes your own currency, like that's a huge opportunity for, you know, a country like the US to come in and go, hey, have you heard about our Lord and Savior, the dollar? Have you heard about this newfangled thing we got called the dollar? <laughs> so they're going to... So it might, yeah, I guess that kind of might accelerate it. Because, I mean, if, if El Salvador wasn't dollarized, they probably wouldn't have been able to do Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been a lot harder. Um, it makes the use case make sense for people. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. I'm curious to see, like, I think you and I are in the same boat where we, you know, people look at like they paint this rosy picture where like, like Bitcoin's going to take over and it's just going to like, we're going to move on like and all ride on like fluffy clouds, like, and, you know, go to like a Bitcoinized world um, and everything's going to be fine. Um, but I think that these powers that be are going to kick and scream and uh, drag this out and make this as painful as possible to switch over to a Bitcoin standard. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, massive paradigm shifts in society do not just happen smoothly and peacefully. They are violent, like disruptive and dangerous times. And you know what, whatever I'll, I'll sound condescending. I think a lot of the people in this space who think it's just going to be like a rosy trip down santa monica boulevard are deluded dumbasses and um they just have no clue what's going on i think there's there's just like this level of naivete um Mm -hmm. you know that uh that a lot of people still think like they haven't i guess fully woken up from the matrix yet you know like they they still think I mean, there's still people that have like faith in their governments and stuff like that, you know, like, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, hats off to them, anyone that's trying to get politicians to uh, adopt Bitcoin. But I'm like, I just, uh, I don't see it. Um, I don't see it working. Um, you know, at least it, not it, the way that we want it to. <laughs> yeah. Which is why, I mean, you know, I've been advocating for people to, uh, in, in Laser Hoddle's way of saying, where he says, you know, make the cost of tyranny, you know, really expensive. Um, and I've been telling people all summer, like, you know, get out of cities. And that's what I'm doing. I mean, I'm like, I'm gone. Nobody will know where I'm living. Um, but I'm, we're out. And uh, and we're going to be 
it's going to like they could shut down the world and our life is going to stay the same. My kids will still have place to mm-hmm. space to run. They'll have space to get that almighty that dangerous sunlight that um that is, you know, going to um be, you know, kill everybody. Um and they'll be able to get water without a public source, all that good stuff. That's where that's where I mean talk about my life changing from Bitcoin and the pandemic combined has it's like amazing i mean it's 18 months into this and and here i am like i'm got my own water source and i'm um you know i'm trying to get my own meat source too so uh it'd be crazy mm-hmm. but i mean you like, know, people that's the goal like I, like everybody in this space isn't going to be able to go all the way with this but you should try to be getting as self-sufficient as possible like with everything you can like that that is what you do in turbulent times when society is about to flip on its head. Like stop acting like you can count on society to meet the like the the necessities that you need to get by. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's it's amazing how many people even like people I know that are like maybe on the conservative side or like, you know, very right wing or something. And they're still so dependent on the system, um, you know, and like, it's like, I'm like, wow, like one of my friends who like, I would have thought would have been like the biggest, you know, like out there, like getting farmland and everything. And I asked him like, what would he do for like a water reserve? And he was like, well, I have a swimming pool. And I'm like, yeah, but oh my how, God, like how long is that going to last? You know, like, you know, if the water gets that. And it's just in the system. It's kind of like in the movie The Big Short, whenever um, they all go to Ryan Gosling and are like flipping out, and he's like, "You still have a little bit of faith in the system, don't you? Like you, you still think that this isn't corrupt. You still think this isn't a house of cards that's going to fall apart, um, you know? And I, I don't know. I just look at it as like a storm. It's like you're getting in the storm shelter, and I think it's all based off of you know the money. I think it. I think the money being the problem is is what's causing this storm um do you think i mean to put tinfoil hat on uh and you know luke um who's you know recently partnered with me on the the podcast uh and he's doing his you know his own show um but you know luke from spaces uh mm-hmm. and i one thing i didn't know is he said that there were all kinds of like riots and protests leading up like through 2018 and 2019 um and uh, I didn't know that. And so he was like, you know, put your tinfoil hat on and what's a, what's a way to get everybody to stop moving around? What's a way to get people to stop spending money? Um, yep. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, curious. look at the yellow vests in France. Um, that was going on for like a two solid years, I think, before uh, 2020. Really? Mm-hmm. So what do you, I mean, do you think this is all coming from, what's your, what's your craziest deep conspiracy theory idea of what's going on, you know, Bitcoin and everything in the world conflated together? China is waging World War III against the West right now. And everybody who has been sold out um, to China is just hey, why do you think they want lockdowns? Why do you think they want our economy broken? Why do you think they keep defying all logic to keep doing these things? This is a war. 
Like that's what's going on right now. Like this is World War Three, and it's just not clicking in people's head because they're they look back to the 1940s and they're like, but there aren't millions of troops storming North America or Europe, and it's like no shit. That isn't how people fight wars anymore. It's the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. People think that's going to be kinetic war, the way that it once was. Um, are going to be sorely disappointed because it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not. Um, do you think the U.S. has what it takes to fight this off? If we can get all of the communists um, out of positions of power in Washington D.C., but who the hell knows what that will take? And who's? How do you tell which ones are and aren't? You know, well, when some you of them have that are deranged, I mean, do yeah. look at Biden's pick um, for uh, what was it, the Treasury Office or the OCC? I forget. But the the crazy communist lady, literally pushing the idea that the entire oil industry should be intentionally bankrupted, um, <laughs> that nobody should have a, a bank account anymore, just get an account directly at the Fed. Um, our, our domestic oil industry, especially natural gas was a huge play over the last decade to remove our dependence on foreign nations for our energy production, like from 2010 to like a little before 2020, we went from a massive oil and natural gas importer to one of the biggest exporters in the world. And there's actually a, a few times um, OPEC and Saudi Arabia like ramped up production and drove the price down specifically to f- with our oil infrastructure that had higher um, break-even costs due to like the everything we're doing is fracking. Like it's a lot um, further along the lifetime of a well. It's a lot more resource um, intensive and costly to extract things from there. Like. That is a war, Mm -hmm. like trying to subjugate us and prevent us from maintaining energy independence. Hmm. So it's a war over energy. Mm -hmm. And then you have Bitcoin, which is a currency created by energy. It's kind of interesting. Yep. So is it, I mean, do you think that I I think I'll, I think it sounds like Bitcoin derangements in general are like somebody that's too far down the rabbit hole. But I think that everything comes back to Bitcoin. Um, And, uh, you know, what do you think, you know, as far as the world goes, does, is Bitcoin the root of everything that we see, you know, something that takes away the power to print, manipulate money um, and then also manipulate energy. Um, Do you think that's what's causing like, is, it, is Bitcoin the thing that, I'm trying to phrase this, is Bitcoin the thing that ultimately fundamentally fixes the world? It can be, but it won't just magically do that on its own. Like people have to align their incentives with it and actually act. But it, it won't just happen all on its own. So how can people align their incentives better? 
the average pleb, you know, that's just like, oh, I bought some Bitcoin. I'm holding on to it. You know, let's see what happens. Keep buying. Like whatever skill you have, whatever you do for a living. Hey, what can you do in this space? Like you're an HR person. Hey, guess what? All companies need an HR department past a, per- or a certain point. Like you're, you're an accountant, you're a finance person. Hey, guess what? All companies need a finance department. Like you, you don't have to be an autistic software engineer or a cryptographer to like find a job or something productive to do that is pushing things forward in this space. Like hell, all companies who deal with uh, consumers they need customer support specialists. Like there are things to do in this space. Look at your skill set and try to leverage that to get involved in this space to actually help companies doing things make those things happen. Almost like uh, doing what you need to do to be a part of the war effort. Yeah. Actually, my right. Like, don't ask what that. Bitcoin can do for you. Ask what you can do for Bitcoin. That's really good. I mean, it honestly is true. And um, and we've talked about this before in spaces, but I mean, uh, do you think the founding fathers would be Bitcoiners? Yes. The vast majority of them, absolutely. Not the ones that corrupted it within two years, but, you know, the, the ones that were... Yeah, Hamilton can go f- himself. <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, he would have, he would have probably loved ETH. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then before we go, um, so I'll let you run here. I know we only scheduled for a little bit, but, um, uh, what are your thoughts on all the, God, the Twitter drama? I cannot keep up with this. I feel like, I don't know if you noticed, I've just taken a step back cause I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Like I, I get busy with something else and then you come back to Bitcoin Twitter for like, after like three day hiatus and you're like, what in the, I don't even know what's going on anymore. New people, new, new people were enemies, new people were friends. I'm like, what is going on? Um, yeah. How do you keep up? Do, do you just step away from that drama? I mean, it's, it, it consumes some people, but I don't know how they do it. I can't avoid seeing it, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's this simple. Um, everybody is, like regressing to high school yeah and it's time to grow the up and i say this as a prolific troll half the time i've been in this space there is a difference between trolling and kind of being a little comical in making an actual like logical point or in kind of you know goading somebody a little bit who who won't acknowledge a rational point or reality versus just completely childish high school bullshit and almost all the drama i see is completely childish high school bullshit yep like yesterday all of this taproot is a scam and like arguing over smart contracts Like, it is the most childish shit on earth. Half of the people I see, like, bitching about this 
are the people constantly lying and misrepresenting things and making false equivalencies to try to shill broken shit coins and nonsense like that, misrepresenting things to like sucker people in with their money. And what they're doing is effectively trying to redefine the definition of a smart contract to exclude Bitcoin. Smart contract was a a term coined by Nick Szabo in 1996. And the example, it's literally, his definition is taking legal contracts and making them programmatically enforceable in a digital way. Hmm. And a lot of the examples he gave were things like delineation of property rights. Hey, that's what a UTXO and basic Bitcoin transactions are. They are the delineation and transfer of property rights over a UTXO on the blockchain. Like a bonded contract. You know what that is? That's just putting money in a multi-sig with an escrow operator. That's a bonded contract. Like all of these very basic, he, he literally like used SWIFT and ACH as examples of like proto smart contracts, things that just transferred money around. Hmm. He coined and invented that entire term and concept. And what's going on right now, because Bitcoin has a massive upgrade that, you know, drastically increases the flexibility of the smart contracts that Bitcoin can do, like the size of them and the the scope of different conditions they can have. They are whining and throwing a hissy fit going, that's not a smart contract because it's not some Turing complete gobbledygook nonsense like on Ethereum. And they are trying to redefine smart contracts to mean arbitrarily Turing complete bullshit like that. That's not what a smart contract is. That is a subclass of smart contracts. But something as basic as putting money in a two of three multi-sig on the Bitcoin blockchain as an escrow is also a smart contract. All it is is taking legal contracts, like forms of legal contracts from the legacy world and doing them programmatically so that they will automatically be enforced. Nothing about that says anything about Turing complete or it's gotta do this fancy crap that Ethereum does. They're just trying to redefine terms and call people scammers because Bitcoin made a massive improvement. Hmm. And it's, it's completely high school drama bullshit. Like people need to grow the up. People need to learn to have adult conversations about all the different systems in this space and the trade-offs and what they can and can't do and stop playing these gimmicky games where we're going to redefine words every five seconds because that's the only way somebody can win an argument like everybody just needs to grow the up i agree i mean because it's it's kind of like the dangers of you know how it was like the taking the the toxic the, the you know toxic maximalist and trying to define it um and uh you know, you just have to be careful with like redefining things. Um, you know, you can't change the definition of the word. You can't change the truth. Um, but what you can do is influence how people feel. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't like. I don't know Udi. Um, never talked to him before in my life. I've tried to like listen into a couple of space, and I like. I just I don't know. It's just so whiny. I can't listen to it. And I think, you know, I think across the board, everybody just needs to like, you know, um, to grow up. Because I, I, the point to like going after log, I think was valid. You know, and, and the point has been made, and I think it's it's kind of working itself out. Um, but you know, like, don't give, don't give, vo- don't give a platform to scammers, you know, or at least give pushback, you know, like you, you know, I'm a proponent for freedom of speech. So it's like, give everybody a platform, but don't just sit there and let them say stuff and not challenge it. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that it's properly working, but also to the same point, it's like, she's got to move on at some point. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, uh, but yeah, like this stuff. But yeah, I didn't. I saw that Taproot is a scam room, and I was like, I, my God, I can't even go in and listen. I was like, because I, I just know, I knew what it was going to be. I saw you were in there doing the fighting the good fight. Um, no, I actually wasn't. Um, I'm blocked by Udi mm. because I pointed out that he was technically incorrect about some comparison he made between um, an application built on Liquid versus an application built on Ethereum. Um, so he blocked me um, for just calmly going that that was an incorrect statement as one does whenever they know how strong their arguments are is to immediately block people mm-hmm. um, it's wild um, yeah no I agree with you people need to grow up um, and you know this is serious this is real this is real world stuff this is this isn't a game this isn't a drill this is real um so well hey dude i'll let you um i'll let you run um if you want to have like a final send-off uh and we gotta do this again i I apologize for running a little bit late you know your constitution pushes back and then (laughs) and then uh um and but i want to do this again and i hate to rush you off but i gotta i I do have a hard out um so uh yeah let's do this again and maybe pick up where we left off um where we can talk about like fighting the good fight and uh and, and all that kind of stuff. But where can people find you? Uh, Brian underscore trolls with a Z uh, on Twitter. And is that, uh, is Brian your first name? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to dox you. No, that's just the legacy hangover from when I started this account to troll Brian Armstrong. And then I, uh, I just uh. kept Brian. <laughs> I was curious as to where the origins of that came from, and I like trolling Brian Armstrong too because I think they're the enemy of um, Bitcoin. And uh, as somebody with, a, as you can see, if you're watching the video, I have a massive head, so I can say this as somebody with a massive head: that dude has the most bulbous head I've ever seen in the history of the world, um, <laughs> and he makes me look like. One of those. Uh, do you remember in the the old Mario Brothers movie that was like nothing like the real Mario Brothers game? Oh my god, that was the greatest movie ever! And do you remember <laughs> the, the Goombas? How little their heads were. That's like what I look like compared to uh, if I stand next to Brian Armstrong. So, but that's great to know that that's the Brian <laughs> Brian Trolls came from. Um, well, Shinobi, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, let's definitely. I don't know. We'll try to book something like a month or so out and uh and we'll pick this conversation up uh where we left it mm-hmm. yeah, thanks man, good, man. Um, i guess uh this is mario mario and i'm luigi mario we're the mario brothers 
<laughs> Mario, Mario, and I'm Luigi Mario. <laughs> <laughs>